Parenting Teens. It's a challenge. Our guest today has parented three teens, and you know Jen has parented four. Stay tuned for wisdom from these in-the-trenches moms. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. This is the On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your co-hosts, Janet Allison of boysalive.com and Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net. Raising teenage boys is the most challenging thing I have ever done. And I say that as an adult who survived seventh grade, still the most challenging year of my life, I think, a divorce and deaths of loved ones. And frankly, the fact that seventh grade is still on that list as I'm 50 years old and seventh grade even supersedes my divorce kind of goes to show how challenging the teen years are for kids also. Joining us today to discuss this critically important, off-misunderstood stage of parenting is Lee Bear, a licensed psychologist and mom to three teenage boys. Bear recently started a Substack newsletter called Parenting Teenage Boys. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here and talk to you all today. I had to start with my first most curious question. You are a licensed psychologist who specializes in kids and adolescents. So were you prepared for parenting teenage boys? (laughs) (laughs) Is anyone prepared for parenting teenage boys? I don't think so. (laughs) I don't think so. Um, I often laugh and think about like, did I get my PhD really just so that I could be a parent and kind of navigate this time um, in, in the parenthood journey? Um, and I, you know, <laughs> I don't know, there's a lot of, lot of, definitely a lot of overlap. Um, it's also made a little more interesting in that my husband is also a licensed psychologist. So he's a forensic psychologist. So we have kind of the clinical realm and the legal realm, you know, try to kind of keep our kids out of jail and try to keep them. <laughs> That's what we're all trying stable. to do. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. So what I'm curious about is is, you know, it's one thing, this is true for so many aspects of life. It's one thing to learn about it intellectually, read about it, um, even do clinical practice. And it is a whole nother thing when, you know, you're not just dealing with this for a half hour or an hour at a time. This is your life. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm kind of curious, especially when your oldest, you know, hit these teenage years and it's your first go around. Now that you have a little more perspective, you know, can you name like what were some of the things that surprised you or caught you off guard? Yeah. Well, I, I, that's a great question because, you know, you, you, you always kind of, when you're in the trenches of parenting, right. You just kind of take it day by day. You're not really anticipating, um, to kind of see what, what is happening, what's going to be next. Um, so we just, you just, we kind of evolved into it, especially with our oldest, you know, the firstborn always has kind of a different set, set of standards, 
you kind of start off and then by the third one, you're like, you're raising yourself, you'll be fine. <laughs> um, but in terms of like being prepared, you know, I knew intellectually from a developmental perspective, what was going to happen. You know, I knew about like the importance of friendships and where that was going to take, had the potential to take our kids. And, um, you know, so, so we always kind of had an interest of that in that and, and trying to, um, just pay special attention to like who they were spending their time with. But we also knew, you know, you had, especially as they got older and approaching like 13, 14, you had to be willing to kind of do a give and take in terms of mm. expectations and rules and, you know, what you want them to be doing with their free time. And all of a sudden they don't want to go to a basketball practice. And how do you handle that? Um, and trying to kind of, you know, put some of your own, I tried to put some of my own expectations as a parent aside and really like try to meet him, especially the oldest where he was being prepared for anything. I think is also <laughs> part of the journey, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you kind of never know what's going to happen on any mm -hmm. given day. How are we going to like, it's almost like having a newborn sometimes you like, how are you, what kind of mood are you going to be in? when you wake up and what, what, what's happening at school that we don't really know about. Mm -hmm. um, I remember all of that kind of newborn angst, right. Of like, Oh, they're not napping and this is going to be awful. And we're never going to sleep again. You yeah. know, kind of having that same mentality in the, in the, especially in the early teenage years, mm -hmm. for sure. I'm sitting here with my mouth open because that is such a great analogy. My <laughs> youngest of four boys is now 16 and nobody oh. ever told me that before. Yeah. I mean, right. It feels like knowing that going into it would help it be more normal. You know, just like with a newborn, they are growing so rapidly. Right. And their sleep needs and their, their um, nutritional needs exactly. and their activity needs can vary dramatically right. from one day to the next, from one hour to the next sometimes. Yeah, exactly. And un unlike newborns, they can talk back. Right. <laughs> they've got opinions yeah, and they, they can, can argue. That sure, is why, right? why it was harder for me than the baby stage. I felt like I was such a good baby parent, Lee. Yeah. Partly because really with babies, you hold them right, and you comfort them and you cuddle them and you feed them and you are a great parent. You are because you know, it. you're hitting the basics, right? Yeah. You know that like you've done all of your things and they're going to get through it. Yeah. And it's much different. And then you go into the, the teenage years. I, I will say like, for me, it's interesting to hear you say that because I remember being so terrified in the newborn years because they couldn't talk at least now with my teenagers, oh. they can say stuff and it may not necessarily make sense in my, you know, middle-aged mom brain of what they're going through. But once, once I kind of try to be a little more intuitive, it's like, I can, I feel like I'm better able to meet them where they are once they can explain, or even say, I don't know. I just am in a really bad mood. I get it. I get it. We all wake up tired. You know, it happens. Um, I think there's, I talk with a lot of moms who are feeling that separation that happens sure. and that kind of the need to loosen the grip and, mm -hmm. you know, push them towards some more independence, but also that feeling of like, he doesn't talk to me anymore. Right. We don't have those conversations. Right. And, you know, am I losing my boy? Is he ever right. going to come back? Mm -hmm. Have right. you experienced that? Oh, for sure. 
Um, especially, you know, our oldest started college this year. And so that's been really like an interesting shift because like, I, I miss him, but I also understand that like, he shouldn't tell me, he shouldn't check in every day. You know, we would see him last year when he would come home from school, we would see him every day. He, he was living at home. What'd you do today? We knew what he was doing at night. The expectations are a little bit different. But now, like, especially with, and then we have one who's going through the college search, um, sure. right? I don't recommend doing this back to back. I don't recommend <laughs> having teenagers in one grade apart. It's not fun. Um, but, you know, trying to really at this point now see, okay, well, what do I want from them as my sons, as adults? What is it that I'm hoping for that can kind of, you know, make this transition from them? being in my house, being teenagers, you know, having to answer to mom and dad, having to do all of these things to then when they're adults wanting to spend time with me and, Mm -hmm. you know, wanting to kind of hang out, not necessarily like mom's going to call every day and go, what are you doing? But like, yeah, let's go visit. Let's go out to dinner. What can we do? Let's go on a ski trip, you know, things that we can do together that'll kind of maintain that relationship. But it's hard in the moment to have that foresight, right? Because, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the boys wakes up and is grumpy and it's like, I'm certainly not going, well, how is he going to relate to me as an adult? Right. (laughs) You know, get your shoes on and get out the door. I'm sorry, you're tired, but you have school today. Yeah. 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 In the trenches. Exactly. Definitely. You You talked a little bit about this give and take of expectations and that adjustment. And I think you know, as you go into the tween and teen years, we have to, we have to also grow up our parenting style for sure. because we were used to saying, here's the right. rules, X, exactly. Y, Z. Bedtime's at eight o'clock. Yeah. This is what we're doing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So how do, how do you get to that place when you're so, you know, you've spent 10 years doing it this way and now right. all of a sudden you have to switch. Well, and that's a great question. I think one thing that a lot of times happen, especially with boys, is that they finally get to an age and they, like you said, they start to talk back or they say, you know, I'm not going to bed at eight o'clock. That's stupid. Or (laughs) they, you know, go over to a friend's house and then all of a sudden they come home a little bit later than they should have. And so, you know, that's not to say that you shouldn't have expectations of, you know, when they need to be home and safety and all of that. But that, to, to me as a parent, that kind of raises a, a sort of not a red flag, but maybe like a yellow flag, like, okay, maybe look at this. Mm-hmm. You know, we laugh with our oldest because we obviously have, you know, three. And so he was the oldest of three, but he was, you know, he had an eight o'clock bedtime for a lot longer than our My youngest. My oldest did too. <laughs> you know, and he's like, y'all, he, he exaggerates sometimes and be like, y'all made me go to bed at eight o'clock when I was in the eighth grade, okay, well, I don't really think it was that long. Like, I don't think we went until the eighth grade, but yeah, certainly our youngest, I think he had an eight o'clock bedtime when he was three, but maybe, but I'm not, I don't know <laughs> if it lasted very long. But there's something to be said in all of that. Cause I did the same thing. And sure. some of it is you're doing what works for your family. Exactly. Right? Oh, and yeah, so if you sure. can keep that earlier bedtime going, cause little ones are going down and that means you get peace after they're exactly. in bed, yeah, keep it sure. up. Parents. For sure. Definitely. And when you have multiple kids, yes, often your youngest one stays up way later than your older ones ever did because they're getting dragged around to their exactly. siblings' activities. And exactly. that's your family. And that is also okay. 
For sure. So, you know, I want parents to know that because I guess I didn't necessarily going through, you know, you feel guilty in hindsight. Oh, I made this one. Maybe I made him stay little too long. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. maybe I had the little one grow up too quickly. It's just life. Your family changes. Kids can adapt to that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. All those cha- and yeah. And all those changes in schedule, like you said, you know, depends on the family. It depends on what's happening. And, you know, our boys have all played sports. And so it depends on what season we're in especially mm-hmm. in high school, they've had lacrosse practices until like 930 at night. And so, okay, here's a major yeah. <laughs> parenting teenage boys issue. Okay? Yes. Parenting teenage boys, often your boys are involved in some activity, sports right. or other extracurricular and Yeah. Nearly inevitably, all of these practices and games occur over the supper, the supper hour. How do you feed teenage boys while dealing with all of their extracurricular activities? Every parent I know struggles with this. Absolutely. And I wish I had a magic answer and I really don't, but I will say, you know, that, that struggle, especially about dinner time, is, it always makes me chuckle because you always hear parenting experts say, you need to have dinner together as a family. You need to sit down at the table and have dinner together as a family, which I think in theory is fabulous, right? In theory, it works great. Have that allocated time to sit down, to talk about your day, to share. In my household though, it doesn't work that way. Number one, because I'm primarily doing the cooking. Once I've cooked, I don't want to like, I have to schedule a time for everybody. So we have kind of an open door dinner, like dinner gets ready And then people kind of rotate in and out and I'm always around. I'm always in the kitchen. So it's like, I spend dinner and my husband does too, you know, like we spend dinner time with our kids, but Mm -hmm. it's not in the traditional, like around the dinner table. I am laughing because that's kind of what we evolved to too. Like I will make food. Right. Also, I never know who's going to be here or not, and they often don't. And when, right? Which is challenging. So Mm -hmm. you do the best you can. And sometimes family dinner is in the car on the way to practice or eating at the concession stand, whatever. Parents, Mm -hmm. you do what you got to do. This is not what is going to make or break your son as a human. Right. And the thing is about the family dinners is it's all about communication, right? It's all about fostering communication in your family. If you can have those moments with your kids, especially with teenage boys, if you can have moments where you can talk to them and kind of ask them about their day, get them relaxed, see what's going on. That's what's important. Mm -hmm. It's not the structure of the family dinner. It's not that, you know, because we don't all have dinner together, it's ruining society. It's that there, you, there's so much busyness and yeah. on all families that you've got to find the time to be together. And those times can often be in the car on the right. way to practice on the right. way home. And I, I know there's, there was that moment for me of when my oldest could drive and yeah. then they're driving to practice or to the right. drama, whatever. And there, then it was like another moment to grieve of separation yeah. from my exactly. kids of, yeah, we don't have that time to talk anymore. Right. So another thing that I did that I think, I don't even know where I got this idea, but when they're out, my kids had theater and choir, they were out late. I would go in their room and fall asleep on their bed 
so that when they they came home, that's sometimes the best conversations happen at that time. Yeah, for sure. You know, Janet, I have heard you tell that story before, and it's Mm -hmm. not until today where I'm like, you never had teenage boys because I'm I telling you there is no way I wanted to go in my boys' room and lay on their beds. Nasty. When she's when you started that story, I thought, ooh, I'd have to go in there and clean up their room. I don't know. <laughs> okay, stay on the couch then. Be present because sometimes right. that is that late night conversation. They're still yeah. ramped up. They they are ready to talk. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's, and that's part of it too, is really just be making like exactly making yourself available for when they're ready it, because you can't, you can't force it. Right. You can't say, okay, so at three o'clock on Tuesday, we're going to sit down and you're going to tell me all the things about your day and your hopes and your dreams. Right. It's just trying to be physically present somewhere so that when the moment arises, you're able to, to, connect with them and see what's going on. I have found that when they're ready, inevitably is later at night than most middle-aged parents want to be up. For sure. Yes. (laughs) And it's it's worth adjusting your schedule a little bit if you can. Like Janet said, fine, fall asleep on the couch, but you're there. And then if they're still, you can be there. Right. Yeah, exactly. I've gotten much more information about what's going on in in my boy's life sort of falling asleep on the couch. And then when they come in at night, sort of asking about what has happened as opposed to trying to ask the next morning and they're like, Oh, nothing. It was fine. I don't remember who shared this, if it was with us or if I found it online. Um, but it was a mom and her trick with her teenage boys was she would often, um, make something tasty. Oh, uh huh. get them to 10 eat o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. Right. Whether yep. you throw in a pizza or you pop sure. some popcorn, yeah, both of which great low idea. energy, they're smelling yeah. food and they come out of their rooms then. <laughs> food is a great <laughs> motivator for teenagers, isn't it? One of the challenges for parents of teenage boys, especially moms, you referred to, you know, middle-aged mom brain before, like there is a world of difference between a middle-aged mom brain and a teenage boy brain. Yes. And so things that <clears throat> seem perfectly reasonable to our teenage boys just often don't to us. And so as a, as a result, there tends to be miscommunication. And I think we, as parents have a hard time figuring out what's normal, what's not normal. Yeah. I know you did a newsletter recently. Um, is my teenage son hyperactive or is this normal? Right. So help us break down some of this, like what's normal and (laughs) what's maybe I just want to watch and pay some more attention. Right. And and that's a great question. Cause I really feel like for those of us who are in it now, who are raising teenagers, especially teenage boys, you know, we're trying to help them navigate a world that we don't understand. We didn't grow up in a world with TikTok. You know, we, we didn't, we, we're kind of learning about all of this stuff, this connection with technology stuff along with them. In addition to trying to raise teenagers who have all of these opportunities for outside influence Mm -hmm. and other, you know, activities. And so trying to figure out really like your, you know, intentional family values and what you think is important versus what your teenager is going to think is important is, is kind of tricky in terms of determining what's normal. You've, you know, you, Part of it is like based on past behavior. 
you know, mm. have they some, cause there are, you know, plenty of kids who are just more active than other kids. Um, looking at, you know, how they have been starting from birth. You, you know, we see some of that in terms of temperament. Um, but, but also looking at, well, what kind of an impact does it have on their functioning? Are they getting in trouble? Um, you know, are they doing stuff that's illegal? Um, are they failing out of school? You know, what, what are the ramifications of whatever this misbehavior is? <clears throat> and I say misbehavior, but really like I kind of, especially from the psychological world, think about it in terms of like all the mood symptoms, you know, depression, anxiety, all those kinds of things. What, what kind of an impact is it having? Because there are plenty of things. I mean, we all have variations and we all kind of do dumb things. Um, there are a lot of times when we, you know, look at our teenagers and go, what, what are you thinking? I mean, there's that running joke, right? Of the middle school boy who wears shorts and a, you know, a hoodie when it's 20 degrees outside. And you're mm -hmm. like, that is the dumbest thing I have ever seen, but it's just part of it. Maybe it's asserting their independence. If they're not actually going to get frostbite, certainly they're not in Alabama. If, you know, if they go out like that in December, I'm in but Wisconsin, if, they're still yeah, not so, going to get frostbite going right, in and, and out of the car to school. Yeah. And so, you know, pick your battles. Um, I think it's important for parents to really look at, well, what does it mean in the bigger picture? Is it something I need to be concerned about? Is it just kind of a one-off of something like dumb that they're going to do? I mean, thank goodness, you know, we, none of us remember every single day of our childhood, you know, because we fade all that away. We all have made dumb decisions. We've all done stuff that hasn't really made any sense. Um, but trying to look at, you know, what, what's important for your family to place value on and, and what's kind of okay to let it go because you mm -hmm. can't, you can't respond to every single thing. And to know that you've instilled these family values for 13 years and yes. it's in there somewhere and it's going to come out again and they aren't going to do dumb things. I think a little bit of what you said is gauging what's normal for your own child. Part of it is watching for when something dramatically changes. Yeah. So all of a sudden he's sleeping more or he's saying, you know, I don't have any friends or... Right has lost interest in whatever he's been doing. So that's the time to really be aware and take action. I'm going to ask this to both of you. What are some normal teen boy things that you see parents freaking out about? I'll share one from yeah. my perspective. I think it is completely normal for teen boys to be totally resistant to school to not regularly turn their homework in, to say it's stupid, dumb, and to not care about their grades. Sure. Yeah. Totally agree. Totally agree. Right. And that makes it tricky because if you come at that from the perspective of, no, you have, you know, you have to go to school. You, we expect you to make, you know, straight A's or even A's and B's. We expect you to fall into this, you know, <laughs> tiny little road that, you know, that, and that, because that's how our society is set up right now, right? That's what we value. We value education. We don't value trades. Um, hopefully there will be a shift, but that's, you know, kind of a whole, a whole, Still other, coming. A whole other issue. Um, but yeah, right. So sort of looking at that and the, the rigidity with which parents look at that. And like you said, kind of freak out, um, 
you know, makes you, I, I think makes me kind of shake my head a little bit. A lot of the social stuff, I think parents tend to get really like into and reactive about, um, you know, I think it's, it's normal for teenagers, especially teenage boys when they're with their friends to, um, see what kinds of things they can get away with, mm-hmm. whether it is alcohol substance use or just, you know, being unsafe drivers, um, you know, all the potential things that have, that can do long-term damage. Right. Mm-hmm. But there's some of that, I think that, you know, is normal. I I remember I was thinking about, um, I I was thinking about my boys this morning and I had been on Facebook for a while and then quit years ago, primarily because I felt like it was becoming very like tattletale-ish for parents. Like, oh, especially with the boys. Oh, you know, we saw this group of boys doing this. Um, and not long after I quit, our middle son came home. He was probably in the sixth grade and he was like, mom, have you seen Facebook? And I said, no, honey, I'm not on Facebook. And he was like, somebody wrote about us on Facebook because we crossed the street, not on a crosswalk. Uh, okay. (laughs) So he said, yeah, they're freaking out. Everybody's all the parents are freaking out because the kids got called out for jaywalking. Okay. Well, we live in Alabama. Like this is not we're you know, we're not in New York city where you should get a ticket for jaywalking or however it is. But also in New York city, more people jaywalk than in my rural Wisconsin. (laughs) It's a survival technique. This episode is sponsored by, by heart. Babies need to eat. And whether you breastfeed or bottle feed, use formula, combine all of the above, you need options. We wanted to let you know about by heart baby formula. Byheart has a patented protein blend that gets the closest to breast milk. It includes two of the most abundant proteins in breast milk. And Byheart actually ran a clinical trial comparing their formula to a leading infant formula and proved that babies on Byheart have softer poops, less spit up, and easier digestion. Byheart is also the only U.S.-made infant formula to use organic grass-fed whole milk. So if you need baby formula for your baby, consider Byheart. New customers can get 10% off your first order by using code ONBOYS at byheart.com. That's B-Y-H-E-A-R-T dot com slash podcast. And it is 10% off your first order. Byheart.com slash podcast. This is a limited time offer and additional terms and conditions may apply. One of the most challenging things about being a woman at midlife is realizing how little people understand about perimenopause and menopause, Janet. I just had a conversation with my sister about that this weekend. She is 10 years younger than me, so I'm 51, she's 41, and she went to ask her healthcare provider, hey, can you provide me some information? And she got information, but she was frustrated by how incomplete, it seems, how little we know and how for way too many people, the answer seems to be, yep, that's the way it is. Deal with it. Mm-hmm. Deal with it. And not only are our mamas out there having to deal with perimenopause likely at this age, but many of our moms are dealing with their sons 
entering or in puberty, which is kind of nature's irony, which is, oof. Cruel joke, Janet. Cruel joke. Cruel joke. Thankfully, thankfully, increasingly, there are those who are recognizing that women need and deserve competent care and treatment for perimenopause and menopausal symptoms. And we know that can still be harder to access than it should be, which is why we have partnered with Winona. Winona helps women who are dealing with menopause or perimenopause. Winona is a collection of OBGYN health professionals who believe that your symptoms are important, real, and deserve to be taken seriously. It's telehealth. You can access care from your home when it is convenient for you. Visit buywinona.com today to start your free visit with free U.S. shipping and the ability to pause or cancel at any time. Your path to wellness has zero obligations. Use the code ONBOYS at buywinona.com for 25% off your first order. That's B-Y-W-I-N-O-N-A dot com slash onboys. Winona, menopause care made easy. And so, and I think too, and, and part of that, I think there's a, there's a culture around parenting too, where there are a lot of people who are willing to point out mistakes in other kids without necessarily acknowledging their own relationship with their teenagers. Um, and so I think that gets really problematic. And, and part of why like, I wanted to start a, this, a newsletter was because there's, there really needs to be so much more support and less of this like, well, oh, you're doing it wrong. Really, your kid's doing this? That's because you're doing it wrong. Well, really, like, well, so what are you, how do you have the magic formula that nobody else knows about? We're all kind of winging it as we go. You know, this is something that I wanted to ask you about too. It seems like there's so much information and support out there geared towards parents of newborns, babies, toddlers, um, even the school age, right? Yeah. And then it drops off when our kids (laughs) get to be teens. It's scary. And I know that part of it is, you know, our kids don't want us sharing about them publicly. Mm -hmm. And it is reasonable and smart to respect their limits. Right. You know, your kids do not want you putting their stuff on Facebook or social media. Oh, right. Before I write anything that includes my boys now, I run it past them because like my relationship with my boys matters more than the other stuff. And but then I think the second part of it is that like a lot of the stuff that we deal with as parents of teens is really hard. And I think Mm -hmm. there are a lot of parents who are sort of afraid that if they share their reality, people will consider them bad parents. You know, like if your kid, um, if your kid got arrested, your kid got a ticket, your kid, um, is in a a mental health care unit. Yeah. 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 Those are things that happen commonly. It's not a judgment on your parenting. Right. And that's why, I mean, that's why I feel, especially at this point, right. I mean, I have a, you know, a college freshman. And so it's like, 
no, we're not done. Right. But you kind of go, okay, like yeah. you made it through high school. Like he, graduated, he graduated from high school. Okay, great. He's a great kid. And if, if he ever listens to this, I don't want him to think that I've ever had a doubt. Right. But okay. Yeah. I'll have a doubt for you because he's a great kid, but there's a really good chance that he'll make at least one decision. He in has, college. Right. And, he, and even before, even leading up to now. And I just remember as a mom having that exactly what you're saying, that sort of isolation of like, well, who do I don't, do I want to tell, you know, my own mother who I talk to about everything? Do I want to tell her about something some, one of them has done? Do I want to kind of taint that picture of their, her grandson? Do I want to talk to my friend who is, you know, maybe doing, maybe going through the same things, but maybe not. And is this, is she going to judge me for how I'm handling this? Mm -hmm. So there's so much of that, like, you know, yes, protecting your, your son's privacy, but also like this need for, for community, but all of this shame of, or fear that we're all doing it wrong. Mm -hmm. Right. I think we all have those same kind of emotional experiences as parents, especially at the end of the day, like, Oh, should I have said this? Should I have done this? Why didn't I do this? What's wrong? What's it going to be like tomorrow? You know, there's, there's all those kinds of constant questions. I think one of the most important things that we can do as parents, as people who care about boys is develop some sources of support for parents as they reach these years. And, you yeah. know, this is part of what we're doing with this podcast. It's what I do with my newsletter, Janet, you do it with decoding boys, Lee, you're doing it with your newsletter, whether I share all the details of my son's stories or not. Um, I do try to be honest and say, this is hard. It's challenging. I doubt myself sometimes because if I say that, I think it makes it a little easier for other people mm -hmm. to say, yeah, this is hard. I'm kind of struggling. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Me too. Well, yeah. and I think it's been interesting for me from a professional standpoint, you know, cause when, so I, ha I have a PhD in clinical psychology and from the time that, you know, we, I got my degree until now, there's been so much more of a normalization and an openness to talking about, um, you know, mental health and kind of, you know, what we think of in terms of disclosure from a therapist perspective, I don't do a whole lot of therapy, um, per se now, but, <clears throat> you know, there's definitely been more of a movement towards that. Whereas before, you know, we were still kind of coming off of this idea that, you know, the therapist was supposed to be kind of the blank slate and, um, you know, help kind of guide the process along. And so there really is, I think, culturally, societally, more of this in a good way of saying across the board, you know, we're all struggling and that's okay, right? It, it's okay to be struggling because like you said, it's really about surrounding yourself with supports and, you know, access to people that you can connect with when you're really struggling, you know, mm -hmm. when you get the call from your kid's high school that they are suspended or, you know, from the teacher saying, well, your kid hadn't shown up for class in three weeks. You're like, oh, well, he hadn't been at home. I don't really know where he's been, <laughs> right? you know, trying to kind of navigate that. Um, and so it's, I think it's important, especially for, for all of us trying to help these help parents to, to be willing to disclose some of that for sure. Talk about the, the you know, the boy who comes and comes to, I'm thinking middle school. I've had some clients right now that are, you know, I don't have any friends. I 
don't connect with anybody and they kind of don't want to do anything. They might yeah. not be a sporty person. Right. So they're not in that group mm-hmm. and they're, and, and they're watching their boy just be isolated and be a loner. And what do you do? It's really hard to, oh, we're going to set up a play date. That doesn't happen in middle school anymore. So <laughs> don't set up a play, play date for your 14 year old. <laughs> no, doesn't work. Doesn't work. Definitely doesn't work. It doesn't work. work. Yeah, it doesn't work. No, I know. Right. And I mean, that's that's one of the things, too, that we, in that shift from elementary school into middle school that you don't you know, that that you try to kind of think about your friends or your kids are more responsible at that point of developing their own friendships. What happens if they're not able to connect with other kids? I would say like from a parenting perspective, you know, try to figure out what are the things that, is there anything that your son is interested in? You know, is it the outdoors? Maybe take plan to take him hiking, you know, once a week, or is it, you know, does he, what does he like to do? Does he like to watch some sort of, you know, anime as a parent, try to connect, not necessarily to be the friend to your kid, but just to at least allow him to nurture those interests Mm -hmm. when there may not be any kids in his school who know any, they may think he's the weird kid because he likes to, you know, watch something on TV and doesn't really like to do the typical things. Maybe everybody, all the other boys are in sports and he doesn't like sports. That's Mm -hmm. fine. Sometimes. Mm -hmm. And, and I think parents too forget that like, it takes a long time to develop our interests for Mm -hmm. all of us. Boys hear this all the time, but especially in the planning for college. And, you know, there's that pressure that we put on high school kids of like, okay, well, what do you want to do? You're 18 now. What do you want to do for the rest of your life? Mm -hmm. What? Well, I was a German major in college. It makes no sense. It makes no sense that I'm now that I'm now a psychologist. I'm just wondering if we could do your therapy sessions in German. Are you that fluent or no? No, I'm not anymore. (laughs) You know, and so it just it was kind of a a process that you know flows and and makes if you go into the whole thing, but yeah, it's okay to not know, and it's okay to not have that connection, especially, but kids are so in tune to what everybody else is doing, mm-hmm. especially in those middle school years, you know, they all see that like, Oh, all these boys are doing these things. If they can feel safe at home, if you can develop that yes. like somewhere safe for them to be, that's mm-hmm. okay. It's okay that they spend time in their room. As long as they're like connected with you or mm-hmm. connected with their big brother or, you know, connected with somebody, it mm-hmm. don't feel like they have to do all the things and like hang out with other friends on Friday nights and go to the football game, uh, you know, at the high school and doing all of these things. It's not for everybody. And, and yeah. that's okay. As long as they have a place that they feel safe. You mentioned, you know, there are some kids who like their interest is maybe some very niche thing. And, you know, the whole high school is into these things and this kid is interested into like the specific niche of anime and this certain author or this whatever. This is where I think the internet is a blessing for parents and for children, because it used to be that if that was you and you were in your town, you were isolated. Yes. But now kids do have the opportunity no matter where they are in the world to connect with other people. It's amazing. If the internet has taught us anything, it's that 
whatever you are interested in, or you can even imagine somebody else is also interested in. (laughs) Exactly. Right. Yeah. There's somebody for sure. So yes, parents, I know that there's a lot of concern about, you know, who your kids are meeting online and where they're interacting and how they're interacting. But this can be a real positive for some kids. Sometimes you find your community online. Yes. Oh, definitely. Finding your community online. I think it's also helpful for parents too, because, you know, if you think about like when we were coming along, if, you know, if we had an interest, our parents would kind of go, well, good luck with that. Like they didn't know anything about it. Yeah. But for us as parents, we can at least go now, what, what is that again? And we can get yeah. on Google and go, well, what is this? And learn a little bit about, okay, well, what is this sort of very specific niche that they're trying to, to pursue and develop? And how can I ask questions and, and be interested? How can I kind of see a little bit of my son in whatever this is that they are engaging in? I know nothing I like about video games. But I know my sons have all played video games. I think video games are part of what helped them survive the early days of the lockdown because mm-hmm. they, they and all of their friends played. And so they would talk to their friends online when they couldn't see each other. But I can at least like get online and kind of go, okay, well, what is it about the, oh, this is the popular thing, you know, ask them questions mm-hmm. and try to kind of figure out and learn mm-hmm. um, about their interests. I know that we have touched on some of this during our conversation, but I want to give some really good actionable tips here. So our teenage boys, they desperately need and deserve support through this very tumultuous time of life. And because of this need for independence and this drive towards autonomy, they often appear to uh, just strenuously reject our offers of affection and support advice. What are some things that we can do to support our teenage boys during this time without stifling our boys or driving ourselves crazy? That's a great question. And I think as parents, we have to try to try to step back and try to look at things from their perspective, from our kids' perspective, right? Try to think about, you know, your son and what is it that he responds to? Because we have our own ideas as parents, like, oh, I'm going to go hug my kid. He's going to love that. He's going to feel loved and supported. Well, what if you have a kid who really does not want to be touched? There are a lot of kids who have, you know, sensory difficulties or just who don't like that, right? They Mm -hmm. just don't like that. Well, that's not going to be helpful. So I think a lot of it, some, I think to some degree, you have to really think about, because you know, your kid best, you know, think about what is it that your kid responds to? Maybe they get this smile on their face every time they come home and they smell chocolate chip cookies and you've made Mm -hmm. them chocolate chip cookies. Just, you know, some way to kind of connect. I think too, we forget that teenage boys want connection. They just don't necessarily connect in the same way that we do. Right. Mm -hmm. A lot of times as parents, we like to sit down, we like to talk, tell me about your day, you know, especially as moms, like I find that I tend to do a lot of that, like, you know, with two psychologist parents, we do a lot of like, how are you feeling? And what's going on? (laughs) And they're like, oh, can we not talk about emotions anymore? (laughs) Um, And so really trying to find just ways of connection, even if that's, you know, taking a walk or just sitting with them and asking questions about what, you know, what they're watching on YouTube, um, trying to show some kind of interest and also just trying to meet them where they are, you know, keep yourself open to when they ask you for things without necessarily asking. They may, you may find that they kind of lurk around a little bit more. They don't necessarily say, Hey mom, can I talk to you? But maybe Mm -hmm. they're kind of 
you know, standing around like a sum up doing, you know, you want to go for a drive, you want to go get a milkshake, like, you know, to, to kind of have yourself open for those connections, I think is important. Mm -hmm. Parenting teens, parenting teenage boys is a challenge for the parents too. I found it took me too long, I think, to learn this, but we learn as we go. It's really important. I have to take care of myself to get through this. What are some of your survival tips? How did you survive and, uh, you know, kind of kept yourself centered as centered as possible through this journey? Because when you don't know what the mood of everybody else is going to be in the house, that can be a thing. Right. There, there can be a lot of chaos, you know, and, and I think a lot of parenting teenagers, I mean, a lot of parenting in general, but a lot of parenting teenagers does tend to be reactive. We just kind of rock along until there's a problem, right? We go with routines. Um, So I think it's really important as parents to, like you said, you know, find time in your day to do something that's just for you. That's not about being a parent. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not about being, you know, whatever your, your, your work is. Um, That's something really just that nurtures you, even if it's for like 15 minutes, sometimes that's, sometimes you only get like 10 or 15 minutes where it's just you, where you're not Mm -hmm. like doing laundry and making lunches and then going to work and then coming home and doing carpools, but trying to find something somehow um, to carve out time. Um, and, and I was listening to y'all, one of your, um, podcasts from, from earlier, and you were talking about like nurturing individual interests for yourself, like mm-hmm. as a mom, you know, because you're not, it's not always going to be this way, right? Like that's yeah. one of the things that I'm personally dealing with is like one, one of the boys has now moved out. Well, there's two left at home and they're keeping us busy, but at some point that third one's going to be gone. Mm-hmm. And so then what? And so then it's not, I'm not going to be waking up at six to start making lunches. And so what, what, what do I have that I yeah. want to nurture mm-hmm. to try to, you know, prepare for that, that time, even if it's just like a 10 minute walk around the block. Um, Cause sometimes that's just the phase of life that we're in right now. Sometimes it's as simple as putting on music you like while you're yeah. folding the laundry. Right. I mean, yeah. you know, if that's all I get, that's all I get today, exactly. but it's yeah, something. Exactly. I think it's important too to, I don't know, my high school years weren't great. My kids' high school years, I think they would say they were not their favorite mm-hmm. years. And to recognize, to help our kids recognize that, you know, there there's a lot of life after high school. Cause I think we get in this place of, you know, gotta get your grades because you right. got to college right. and da, da, da. And really and truly in the scope of your whole life high school is just a little part Mm -hmm. of it. And so to reassure them that there's life beyond high school. Yeah. And I think too, you know, teenage boys especially are not that great about looking long-term, right? They're, they're not that great. Not a skill set for them. (laughs) No, (laughs) no. Like it's, uh, it's not, they're not at a place necessarily where they can see, okay, in 20 years, none of this is going to matter. But I think too, you, if you, you couple that with where societally we say, okay, well, once you finish high school, you got to have your life planned out. Like you got to have a, either an education plan or a job plan that's going to, you know, set you up forever. Um, And so there's, there's all, you know, follow your passion. And there, there's all this kind of pressure to have it all figured out Mm -hmm. um, that I think for a lot of, 
a lot of teenage boys and a lot of their parents, it can be really overwhelming. Um, we try to talk a lot to our boys about, you know, well, and especially in the college search, you can, you know, make decisions that you can undo. Just don't make a decision yeah. that you can't come back from. In the college search, you can always transfer. You can always drop out. You can always pursue a different career path. Like, that's okay. Mm-hmm. That's not something that, you know, is unchangeable. If you do something drastic, you know, if you're drinking and driving and you get an accident and, you know, that, that can change your life trajectory forever or somebody mm-hmm. else's, but just, mm-hmm. you know, try to think about like, there's all this pressure on all these kind of minor decisions. What do I want to do next year? It's like, take a deep breath. You know, there, like you said, high school is really kind of this small piece to this hopefully long beautiful journey that all of our kids are going to go through. And so be okay with kind of the not knowing if you feel Mm -hmm. like you don't fit in in high school, you know, probably chances are 99.9% of the other kids feel the same way, even Mm -hmm. though they look like they fit in from your perspective, just keep going and find what you are interested in, how you want to serve the world and, and go from there. That perspective is so helpful for me as a parent of a teen too, because I realize it applies to me too. Yeah. Oh, so I don't have to have this all figured out. I don't need to know the path, capital P, the path to raising a great team. Right. You just, you take a step, yeah. you take the next step, you see what happens. Okay. You, you adjust or do something different based on that. And I need to remember that as a parent, I tell it to my kids. And I forget it for myself. Well, because we spend so much time and energy, I think parenting, especially with teenagers and and trying to do this, that it's hard for us to really take a step back and be intentional about what it is that we're doing. And to know that we're we're all going to mess up as parents, Mm -hmm. our teenagers, we're going to mess up. And so just try to, you know, learn from your mistakes, pick yourself up, move on to the next thing and give yourself and everybody around you a little bit of grace in the process. Mm -hmm. Lee, tell our listeners um, about your newsletter, where they can find your newsletter and what else you have going on. Yeah. So I have a weekly newsletter that's weekly right now. I publish every Thursdays and it is leebearphd.substack.com. So it's L-E-E-B-A-R-E phd.substack.com. I'm trying to really provide a little bit of support, a little bit of information for people who are parenting teenage boys, trying to address Mm -hmm. different, you know, topic areas related to parenting, also related to mental health, because there's so much information out there. But I also think too, it's hard to know where's the information coming from. People look to different sources, you know, it's incredible. You have the, um, the academic and clinical background in mental health and you are parenting teenage boys to me, this makes you the kind of expert that I want to listen to and trust because frankly, there have been other mental health professionals who are talking about parenting teenage boys. I'm like, but you have never raised a teenage boy. Right. There's, and like you said, there's certainly a difference between the academic part and the reality part. And so you, you are one of those people where you walk the walk and you talk the talk and it is reliable, actionable, helpful information. I found your newsletter, you know, I think you just started it and I've read both of the issues that have been out. And when we recorded this, 
good stuff in each of them. Highly recommend it. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. I think it's good. I've been writing for um, Psychology Today and have been putting stuff out there um, kind of a little more sporadically, I guess, over the last several years, but really wanted to kind of develop a forum where I could connect with people who were reading what I wrote and then also like taking feedback. You know, what, what do people have kind of interest in what, what resonates with people um, mm-hmm. as, as we're all kind of going along this journey. So as we wrap up, Lee, I always like to get to the practical and the hopeful. What would be one thing that you could say to those parents out there that are, you know, maybe have that moody teen that got up this morning and slams out the door and you don't know when they're coming back? What hope can you offer? <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, that is a great question. And I really truly believe that, you know, as parents, when you're involved, when you see that you have the moody kid, you have, that is your connection right there, right? Like you're doing your best. You're trying really hard. If you observe it, if you're the parent who doesn't care, who doesn't realize, oh, wow, huh. You know, my son's where, I don't know. If you're, if you're that parent who's disconnected, you know, that that's different. If you're looking for hope because you have a problem with your child, a problem with your relationship with your child, that means that you're trying. Yeah. Keep trying, right? Keep Mm -hmm. trying, keep trying to find resources, keep trying to find that like way in. And maybe it's just going to take time. Maybe it's just going to take time until they get into adulthood and they Mm -hmm. look back and they go, huh, you know, mom was really trying. And I was kind of a jerk in high school. I remember those days when I didn't talk to her for three days. Yeah. You know, just keep trying and know that that your desire to connect is you're going to be able to find it if you if you just keep trying to stay the course. Yes, listeners, just trying to stay the course. We hope you found some inspiration from this podcast. If it's been valuable to you, please share it with a friend. We are your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink of BuildingBoys.net, and I'm Janet Allison of BoysAlive.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.